Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Illustration Department podcast. My name is Giuseppe Castellano. In this podcast, I talk to folks in illustration, graphic design, publishing, animation, and other creative fields about their beginnings, their successes, and the bumps and bruises they've experienced along the way. In this episode, my guest is illustrator, author, Rebecca Green. In September of 2017, Tundra published Rebecca's debut picture book, How to Make Friends with a Ghost. And it all started with a personal project. Among other topics, she shares her first steps as an illustrator, and it may have legitimately started in kindergarten. We chat about why you have to sometimes unlearn what you learn in art school, And Rebecca explains how illustrators can navigate blocks, burnouts, and breakdowns by following their own creative compass. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Um, Yeah, I'm good. I'm a little nervous, but it's always kind of nerve-wracking right before the, you know what I mean? Right before you jump on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, for but. listeners who, who uh, are going, why is his voice so low? Why is my bass <laughs> just totally kicking at the moment? Um, it's because it's pretty early my time. Pretty late your time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah the time difference is weird. Are you in I Osaka? Am. Is that still in the Osaka. Time? Yeah. Yep. Yep. How's it going over yeah. there? Yeah. Uh, it's going good. You know, it's kind of like... It's a little bit surreal to even be here, I think, because of um, of COVID and everything. It's like I just right. really like live in my apartment. So it feels like Osaka when I go to the grocery store. But other than that, like it feels strange. But I love Os- I love Japan. I mean, right. yeah. What's the perception from that point of view? I mean, is America just like up in flames at the moment? Or, or I mean, what are people saying over there? <laughs> Um, I think they're just like confused by, um, yeah, I think it seems pretty extreme to them. I mean, I think Trump is kind of funny to them. Um, I don't know, you know, I don't feel like I I get like impassioned responses, but, um, yeah, I think that they're just kind of in awe by a lot of stuff, (laughs) which I guess I am too. Yeah, me too. Yeah. You know, yeah. Just. I think actually that's a good way of describing it. Something will yeah, happen and you'll just, all, just go like, I'm in, I'm in all. Right yeah. Now. What? Yeah. And not in a good way. Not in a good way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But. Um, so I, I don't, this is, I, I feel like I need to do a little disclaimer here because I mercifully, this is my last interview, uh, when in which I'm using a sort of makeshift, find a corner somewhere place uh as of okay. a, f- a week or two from this recording so when this goes out it would have already been ha- it would have already happened it feels very back to the future there but uh <laughs> yeah we're we're just moving and you know just like about not really like traveling all over the place obviously but you know we're, we've we've just been in flux past few months for mm. a lot of reasons and uh yeah we're moving Oh, wow. That's a lot We're in the Brooklyn. middle of pandemic. Yep. Can I ask where? From Bay Ridge to wow. an undisclosed town in I... Pennsylvania. Whoa, that's exciting. Yeah, wow, exciting. that sounds like a big... Yeah, well, congratulations. Thanks. In the future. Um, so something tells me that you're not from Osaka, Japan originally. 
Uh, you're not from Michigan. From Michigan, yeah. What, what town? Not that I know much of, of the terrain there, but it's it's a small town uh, in the middle of the state. It's like near Lansing and Flint. Um, just yeah, a really small town. Owasso is what it's called. Yeah. Um, what were you Owasso. doing when you were growing up there? Other than like, oh man, were you were you imagining ghosts at the time, or were you or that came later, and you were just a you know precocious uh, artist like most would be illustrators? Yeah, that came later. But I will say that I think um, so. Michigan, I mean, probably much like um, New York, has really intense seasons, and fall has always been one of my favorites. And I, um, I think my brother and sister and I used to really love watching scary movies and not like super scary but just like that time of year when you go back to school and it's it's yeah. it's autumn and like yeah. and the air smells like yeah, smoke a little bit yes it's just like such a nostalgic smell oh, yeah, and like thinking about going to school and there's like dew on the grass yeah. and everything feels possible um yeah yeah so when i guess when i think about my childhood i think about yeah you know, that and hanging outside playing with my friends you know but yeah. the seasons stick out because they're just so extreme were you so, one no. to like, were you, uh, I feel like the answer is yes for almost everyone I talk to, but sometimes it's no, uh, there's a few people who've said actually, no, um, were you that kind of kid who were, who was always drawing and in getting into art and that sort of thing? Or was, did that come later? I was, um, even from like a really, really small age. And then I remember my brother, I remember, yeah, I did. I did draw a lot. And I would watch my brother draw, and I was like really interested in that. Um, actually, my first, my first published illustration was in kindergarten. I drew this mermaid, what? and the teacher was like, "I remember she sat down with me, Mrs. Dason, and she said we would like to put this in the newspaper." And my mind, I feel like my mind was blown, and I was like, "This is what I want to do. This is my future." Um, wow. So I think, yeah, I don't know if it, you know. For some reason, yeah, I imagine elementary. like a, a kindergarten version of you, like, I don't know why, wearing sunglasses, strutting down the hallway, <laughs> you know, like your Signing thumbs, your thumbs just like underneath your backpack straps, just like. I wasn't cool, but I was excited that my, <laughs> that my picture was in the newspaper. That's so funny. This is um, a weird theme. Uh, the podcast episode before yours, we talked about. Uh, Corey Godby and I talked about how in kindergarten he realized that his work was pretty good. Like he even oh. noted it as a kindergarten, uh, as a kindergartner, which is really that's interesting. so funny. That yeah, is interesting yeah. how that works. All right, so you're moving forward. You're humming along there, doing the art stuff. Did you go to school for art? Or I did. did you, I did. School? I went to Kendall. Okay. Um, at Kendall College of Art and Design, which is in Grand Rapids in Michigan. Mm -hmm. um, and I got my illustration degree from there in 2010. Is Kendall one of those schools that, you know, on this side, you have like SVA and Pratt and RISD, and they're all like mm -hmm. fighting it out, you know, Bugs Bunny style with a gigantic plume of smoke and just fists coming in, you know, and then all and over on the other side, there's there are schools like Kendall and Cutstown and DCAD and just like Delaware College of Art and Design, like all these other schools that no one really ever talks about, but it's really mm -hmm. good school. And let's not talk about it because we don't want the tuition to go up. Is that one of those? <laughs> or am I just completely making that um, up? 
Yeah, I, you know what? It's an amazing school, and I think it's it's really good. It's really big for furniture and sculpture. Okay. Um, Grand Rapids is a huge furniture city. So um, I don't want to talk bad about the illustration program, but I will tell you that when I needed to be inspired, I just look at RISD's <laughs> website. <laughs> and I looked at the work that their students were doing because I think it was actually very different than what we were doing. It's interesting you should say that because uh, the illustration department has – not RISD's, mine, uh, illustrationdepartment.com, has mm -hmm. a forum. I um, asked the forum community members, hundreds strong, I might add, uh, who would mm -hmm. they like to see on the podcast? One of our members, her name is Katie, said <laughs> Rebecca Green would be awesome. Aww. She goes on to say, I know a lot of artists I follow look forward to her blogs and newsletters. She has a lot of insight on breaking art blocks and retrying pieces in different styles. I also haven't heard her a lot on podcasts. And then I looked at your website and there was something about your work that struck me as familiar. I still don't know if it's exactly the RISD thing. Anyway, it, it mm, felt familiar to me for some reason and maybe that was it. Yeah. Well, RISD that's so sweet of her. Yeah, 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 yeah. I do. I do recognize that from the, it's from a, the it's, podcast. It's actually an official rule. If you go to RISD, if you went to RISD, you actually have to say you went to RISD every single chance you get. <laughs> I mean, I would. A little I humor there, folks. <laughs> I would be like, I'm, yeah. Um, that's so sweet, that, first off, that, that she wrote that. So yeah. I'm really flattered. Um, yeah, I don't know what it is. Yeah. I, and I would want to go back, you know, 10 years and like look at what stuff I was looking out of. You know, I was looking at RISD and looking at Ringling and... Mm -hmm looking at those other art schools. So our, our work was very different in my, um, at Kendall, there was just a huge focus on photorealism. Okay. That just wasn't my thing. I learned that and I studied that, but um, I kind of broke off of that. And so I was, it was a little bit challenging, that program. For that for reason? Me. Because of the photorealism? Yeah. yeah, because when I wanted to jump off, it was just a very divided program within, you know, the, there were, I just feel like there were two different schools of thought within that program. Okay. Um, one was photorealism and one was stylized. And you felt kind of like, you know, you're between the teachers. And it, I don't know. They may, maybe just because it's a small school, too. You know, it felt it all felt very personal. And it didn't really feel like you had didn't feel like I had a lot of room to grow. Um, and I was really I was really challenged when I started making stylized work and the chair of the program and I butt heads and that it's just, you know, I could talk about it for a long time. I still feel like I'm, I'm trying to just get over that, I guess. Yeah. Un like undo some of it maybe. Yeah. 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 Because I, th I still think it's in my head where I'm like, I, I want to draw really wild or crazy, you know? And then I'm, I have this voice in my head that's like, no, you have to do, you have to prove something. Yeah, that's so funny. again, funny. You should say that uh, there's a, I have a little bit of that feeling as well. I mean, I, you know, I don't want to bad mouth RISD, Although I could high tuition, you're too high, but, um, yeah, there were teachers. I mean, the whole thing was like freshman year was foundation studies. So, you know, uh, essentially they, they didn't really care what you wanted to do with your own work. They broke you down and built you back up in their own vision and, yeah. uh, taught you the basics. And you know, all of that was 97% great. And then 3% of it was like, but I don't want to do this ever like I'm not I want to be a photographer I don't want to learn how to paint oil paint you know mm -hmm. uh, so said some of my friends but anyway so then 
sophomore year for me was that was kind of like that where I was butting heads with teachers. I didn't, you know, I would have a teacher. I'm not going to name names here, but I, I had a teacher who's mm-hmm. just a literally a Hall of Fame editorial illustrator who's uh, who probably like invented the whole like tiny businessman with a tie pushing a giant boulder up a mountain to signify you know how difficult it is to invest in 401ks like i think i think i'm pretty sure he invented that um (laughs) but uh he didn't give a damn what any of us sophomore year who had chosen illustration as a major wanted to do with our own art how we wanted to do it it was all like this is how you're gonna think you're gonna think like me you're gonna I'm, you're going to buy quills and inks. You're going to draw and paint and ink like me. That's what I'm going to teach you. I'm going to teach you what I do. And it was like just not any effort in wanting to know who even our names were. I mean, it was wow. It was like when we when I found out who the teacher was, I was like, oh, my God. I can't believe that's going to be our teacher. I love RISD. And then it was just not great. The thing to me, for me, and then we'll move on to back to you, um, is that... RISD's, for me anyway, strength were, were the, was the student body. I mm. learned way more from the students and from my friends, I think it's safe to say, than, than from my teachers. I'm pretty sure that's safe to say. Because they were <laughs> yeah. so good and so curious and so interesting and came from so many different uh, perspectives and backgrounds and locations. And I was a really uh, bubble, like I lived in a super like super bubble in Baltimore County, Maryland, you know, like Mm. I never saw piercing, you know what I mean? Like it was one of those kinds of things. And (laughs) so, so the student body really helped me like break out of that, but it's going all the way back to the point you were just making sort of undoing some of that is still kind of in like when I'm drawing, I start, I start hearing my old drawing teacher who I butted butted heads with him. Like if you drew like him, you got an A, if you didn't draw like him, you didn't. Yes. Um, yeah. Same. So. Yeah. I understand that. That's it's frustrating. It's like, totally. you'd think you could just let it go, but it's just not that easy. Well, I we're, guess we're illustrators are very sensitive. We are very in touch with the force. I think. Yeah. 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 For better or worse. For better. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. All right. So you graduated and mm-hmm. do you remember your very first pro like, other than, <laughs> other than your kindergarten, uh, career, um, <laughs> Do you do you remember like your first work out of college? Uh, I do. I one of the yeah first um, projects I was doing. I was making um, these festival art festival posters for. Um, actually, this is rent. This is kind of ironic, but it was for an art festival in Rhode Island. Um, oh, okay. That's and funny. I was making their festival posters for them, and that was that was I think while I was still in school. I just um, had met someone at an artist market. I did a lot of artist markets like in school and like right outside of school. So I met a lot of um, art, my first like clients that way. And I met a woman and her cousin ran these art festivals in Rhode Island. So she started hiring me for those. And I think those were probably some of the first pieces. So this was 2011, 12, something along those lines. Yep. Yep. This would have been like 2010, 2011. I I graduated in the winter of 2010. When did you start making How to Make Friends with a Ghost? That was a several year long project. 
Yeah, that was 2015. I wrote that in 2015, uh, September, and that came out September of 2017. But it came um, out first on your own volition. I mean, it was a personal yeah, project that you put together and threw up on Instagram. Yeah. I, I'm This, again, another interesting kind of, maybe it's in the zeitgeist or something, the podcast episode prior to this one with Corey, we talked a lot about personal projects. And I found oh, it okay. interesting that your first, your debut picture book, mm-hmm. written and illustrated by you, was How to Make a Friends with a Ghost, which was ultimately published by Tundra, but not before it was published by you. You had done it yourself. Yeah. You had published it yourself, and you said, this is, this is I'm, I'm good. I, I fully expressed what I wanted to express here. I'm moving on. And then an editor got in touch with you. Yeah, I did it, you know, and I didn't even think of if it as self-publishing. So I will say that for anybody listening, they're like, oh, self-publishing sounds like this big thing. And for me, it was like, I don't know how to make a zine. Hmm, what, you know, what's available mm-hmm. online to just print a book? And so um, I printed 100 copies. So I guess that is self-publishing. Yeah, um, totally. But not, I, not in, yeah, that, not okay. in the sort of maybe more official sense, right. but no, that's, self, that's totally self-publishing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I self-published it. Yes, you did. And I... I put it up on my website and Tara is the editor from Tundra. Um, She was looking at my website because they were thinking about hiring me for a different project, which I didn't end up doing. Um, But when they went to my website to check it out for that project, she saw on my blog, I posted the whole thing and then she emailed me and and asked if I wanted it to be a a real book, which was, I mean, a dream. And I had been talking, I'll I'll be honest, I I did talk to a publisher in Portugal and they were really lovely. I mean, they're a small publisher. They make incredible books. Mm-hmm. They make incredible books. But the advance was like, I mean, just so small. They were just going to make such a low run and it was going to be, uh, wasn't going to be in English. And so right. I was like a little bit torn about that. And right when I was in conversations with them, that's when Tara contacted me. And then, you know, I ended up going with Penguin and it was a wonderful deal. So I ended up redoing all of the the book all over again the illustrations are completely different and we added more content and which was really fun mm-hmm. and then um yeah i went through that whole process i mean i was just <laughs> everything was new you know they were using all these terms that <laughs> i just had to keep checking like what like gutter what, what bleed is that kind of, yeah yeah, F and yeah. D. that uh-huh. stuff i knew yeah but more like the publishing side of it like i didn't know what that those terms were right so yeah um this was a this was essentially a personal project that you had fully illustrated and full and printed, and Tundra says we love it. Now let's change all the spreads. Let's or at least revise all the spreads. So you did a ton of. You didn't just. What am I trying to say? They didn't just say we love it. Let's hit print and give you money. You still had mm-hmm. to rework it, add pages to it. The. The reason I say that is because I, I review and help illustrators put together their book dummies. Not that not that yours was a dummy, um, and I caution against illustrating the whole thing because mm-hmm. that definitely happens. Even if if someone, even if they go, God, we love this, we just love it, they're gonna change it. Mm-hmm. So it's not a great idea to fully illustrate it. Although you are the exception to that, you did fully illustrate it, well, and you still managed to. I just, I, I just don't, I, 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 I caution against like, I don't, I worry that I don't want them to do that much. Uh, that's a lot of work to do, I guess is what I'm saying. It is. I mean, I think if you look at the original versus the, um, 
the published version. I mean, the original was like, they were small drawings and they were pretty simple. I mean, way more simple than my work is. Um, and, and the funny thing, I mean, because I didn't see it as a dummy and I didn't see it. I mean, I just saw it kind of like as a zine in book form, even though I don't do zines. I don't know. It was just something in the world. And, and the, and Tara, my, my editor, she said a couple times, this is the most, she said, this is the, one of the best dummies I've seen. This is like such a complete dummy. And I thought, this is so interesting. Yeah. Because I, I thought of it as a book. And then when she, when she said that I had to kind of like, you know, I had to look at it in a different way and just say, this is like a stepping stone. Um, so absolutely like I, I'm working on some book dummies now. I would never, ever do a full book. Nice. Um, but because I didn't really see it in that way, mm-hmm. you know, I was fine just doing the whole thing. Since then, so. you've done more than half a dozen. You've done one, eight, seven, eight books. I mean, you've illustrated quite a bit since Yeah, then. I've done about, yeah, maybe like 12. I just listed them all and I think I counted. So maybe about a dozen. Since 2017. Yeah, since 2015, maybe. Yeah, in the last five years. That's a lot of work. Yeah, I think, yeah. You don't yeah. have an agent, right? <laughs> I did. I've had two agents, and I've, I'm like, I'm free. I'm You're free of an agent as of like a month free. ago, actually. Yes. Can I ask why? Or yeah. Or should we move on? Of course. Yeah, no. Um. Yeah, the first agent I had was in 2000, maybe 12 to 14. That okay. was an editorial agent. Um. But I just didn't editorial work wasn't for me and um we left on a good good note yeah Uh, in case anyone's like an editorial uh essentially (laughs) like an art rep somebody who's 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 looking to get you work in the editorial field magazines and things like that right yeah magazines newspapers stuff like that yeah Mm -hmm. and then in 2000 i think end of 14 beginning of 15 no actually 2016 is when i signed on with my agent because i i Honestly, I contacted her because I got the contract for the ghost book and I was like so overwhelmed I couldn't me? read right. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was Some like, people can do you that. take me on? Yeah. 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 It's mm-hmm. so we were together for four years and we just parted ways this year. And um, you know what? She's an amazing mentor, an amazing person, and so I have nothing bad to say. Um, it just kind of felt like I couldn't grow maybe in the ways that I wanted to. And I felt like I kind of needed to be on my own for a little bit or maybe just like in a diff, maybe in a different uh, working relationship with someone that had a little bit, maybe different contacts or different, I, I'm looking to do different stuff and I feel like I kind of keep getting pegged into these same roles. And so, you know, it's difficult. You have to like yeah. kind of break away from your reputation. And I felt like I needed to do that. Um, right. And I think potentially I'm interested in a lit agent versus an illustration agent. Right. It's a little bit different. So, but I love Nicole, and I have nothing bad to say about about her. That's my most recent agent. So, gotcha. yeah. yeah, and that's something that doesn't really get discussed a lot. It does on this podcast, but um, usually you hear a whole lot of like, "I just signed with my agent," and that's what gets that's what gets discussed. Not I had yeah. to part ways with my agent, or I had to part ways with my second agent. Um, yeah, yeah. I had that discussion several times with some folks here. Yeah, I mean it's a tough, it's a tough decision. It it's is. a tough and conversation. The word, the word "brave" gets gets bat, gets you know batted around, in especially in the children's book uh, industry. That's bravery. When you when you're, I mean you're struggling. Not you, but one uh, is working and working and building and 
you know, producing and trying to get to a point where they have an agent. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that is a, that's a, you know, if we're going back to the businessman with a tie pushing a rock up a boulder or up a mountain, that's, the, <laughs> that's one peak. You know, I have an agent. Yeah. Yeah. But sometimes the boulder rolls back down the other side because it doesn't work out. Or the mountain's bigger. Or the mountain's bigger. Yeah. It's just yeah. one peak yeah, of many need- peaks, right? It is. Yeah. Now we're zooming and out and now it looks like a graph. It looks like some sort of like, you know, I don't know, corporate. Yeah gross net income graph of some kind. Wow. We're just creating like the worst editorial illustration visually right now. Yeah. Um, That's what I would have. I'm bad at editorial. (laughs) (laughs) I quit. That's why I don't have the agent anymore. Uh, Um, I also noticed that you, uh, in the best way possible, because I, I personally am a, I'm a fan of the traditional medias. Mm -hmm. Um, you're, you're one to use traditional media. Have you not received the memo that quote, everyone is going digital. Have you, has it not gotten to you yet? Are you too far away from, from... I have the memo. Sometimes I take it out of my desk. Sometimes I read it. Sometimes I rip it up. I mean, I do have an iPad and I do work digitally sometimes, but I have such a love hate relationship with digital. I just, yeah. If I'm being completely honest, I don't know if it's love hate. It's definitely love (laughs) frustration. Okay. Or yeah. frustration, hate. I, I don't know what it is. I, I, I talked about this again. On, people listening are like, "Oh my god, dude! Like, get off it." Um, recently, I talked about this. Uh, yeah, personally, I'm traditional media all the way. I just love how colored pencil smells. I love how graphite feels. Mm-hmm. I love how oil paint moves. I mean, there's just so much to love about traditional media. Digital media is fine if that's your jam. <laughs> roll with it that's totally mm-hmm. fine um but to outwardly say to a group of illustrators that everyone's going digital is such bull crap yeah i feel like i remember um i was at one of the icon conferences maybe mm-hmm. like right when i was about to graduate maybe 2010 or 11 and and i remember them talking about um digital the digital world and they were having a you know one of the speakers was talking about it and they were having a panel or a discussion, and I, I remember there being like a lot of talk about everyone's going digital, but I, I do feel like there was also like the, the, the other response was that it makes traditional so much more special and like we won't lose it. And I really do feel like not a, not a ton, maybe a lot's changed. I mean, I think a lot's changed with the iPad and with Procreate, honestly, because I think it's more, maybe it's more accessible. I don't know. Um, but I think, I mean, there's just so many people that are still making traditional stuff. Yeah. I, it won't go away. No, of course not. No. Yeah. And it's just something again, I've talked about this before, but it's worth repeating because the whole, everyone's going digital things gets repeated. So let's repeat the, the, the love for traditional. There's something intangible about it. There's something that is inherently unique and very specific to your own as an artist, like your own creative DNA that no one else, like you could put, you could pick up a colored pencil and draw one line on a blank piece of paper. No one in the world ever forever will ever draw (laughs) a line quite like your line period. Mm -hmm. That is, that is, that is, that is objective truth. The same can't necessarily be said about digital because two artists from you know, opposite sides of the globe could pick the same Photoshop brush, 
hold the shift <laughs> key down and draw a line and it is the it could potentially be the exact same line at the exact same spot on the exact same digital file i mean it's yeah and it's not that photoshop brush was by the way designed by another artist that they may or may not know so it's just it's uh yeah something i need to really stop talking about honestly honestly because well, I, I just keep harping on it you know, it's. I was talking to a good friend of mine the other day who she's also a traditional uh, watercolor artist, and she's the one who talked me into getting an iPad. She was like, "Okay, I know that." Like, she's a purist, and she was like, "I'm just gonna do it. I'm gonna get it." She got it. She talked me into it. I got it. All the people in our studio got it, and I just talked to her the other day, and she showed she was showing me these paintings for an upcoming book, and they're stunning. And I asked her if she did it. Um, you know, I think she 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 was working a little bit digitally kind of like me like going back and forth and she said that these new pieces are completely traditional and she said you know because procreate is faster in a way or digital is faster but she said i spent so much time like so many hours um trying to make this look like it's a happy accident yeah that i could literally just like push paint around on a piece of paper for five seconds and the whole thing would be done yeah you know yeah. um and that's how I feel. So actually, I've, I do, like, I can't tell you how many pieces I finished that I also have multiple digital versions of them that I've hated because I spend so much time trying to, like, I don't know. I just zone out, you know. I just get so bored with digital. And, like, it's just not, there's no risk to it. Yeah. So it ends up taking me so much longer because I could undo things 10,000 times. Yeah. I also noticed that you tend to limit your palettes. And is that, yeah. I, I'm assuming that's a conscious choice. Um, but is there something, is there something that you're thinking about when you're choosing your palettes? Yeah, I would say that it, it goes kind of two ways. It's, um, I think limiting my palette probably started three or four years ago, maybe. Um, but I'll either, you know, I'll either limit it, like strictly limit it um, to just, I don't know, two or three colors. But I feel like that's actually pretty rare mm -hmm. um but what i do most often is i feel like i choose a um one of my professors used to call this the matrix which is almost like your atmosphere or your invite your environment or your lighting mm -hmm. okay. and um so i tend to go off of off of that and off of like a mood and what i'll do is um i i also go off the time period and like what is best for the the subject like I do think about it a lot I mean color is very important to me and um and so what I'll do is I will think about all of those factors and then I usually pick out maybe like you know one maybe two shades within like a warm a cool you know I'll just do I don't know if this is making sense but yeah. I'm not going to do just like three primary colors but I'll do like one lovely blue one that's going to be an accent you know maybe one that's more gray that will be like when the lights are low right. and then i'll move to my warms and i'll do you know i'm yeah. i actually pretty much stick to like vermilion and like a coral red this i'm talking about like gouache colors yeah. um so mostly paint but then i'll i work with neo color crayons a lot too and what i'll do is and my even my colored pencils i'll just pick the same color of those crayons and of those colored pencils so now i have three different mediums but i have like the same color range which yeah that's how i work normally what's your favorite color okay it changes but right now i'm really into um like this kind of like a matte 
like a dusty Kelly green, but mm-hmm. I'm also obsessed with periwinkle, which is very new. I used to hate periwinkle for my whole life. And then one day I was just like, this is the most beautiful color. <laughs> and so I think I use both of those a lot. Mm-hmm. I think the color specifically in gouache is like a smalt. It's called smalt blue smalt. and it's so vivid. Yeah. Um, do you, did you ever go through a, a period in your life, uh, in which you actively did not choose green as a favorite color just because of your last name? No, I've always loved green. I've mm-hmm. never been ashamed of it. Good. It's my favorite color, I'm a champion color, of green. Me too. Oh, is it really? Yeah. Do you have like a specific? Uh, Luke Skywalker's lightsaber in the 1983 version oh of Return of the Jedi. Okay, I'll have to look that up. <laughs> yeah, so like I don't know. Neon? CGI green? I don't know what that's called. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's I'll have why. to look that up. I just remember uh, <laughs> I was seven, I think, when that movie came out, and six. I was six. And um, I don't know. I just There's something about Luke igniting the lightsaber, and it was green. I expected it to be blue. And this is, by the way, back before you could just go online and sp- spoil the entire movie months ahead of mm. release. But, uh, yeah, he just he, he lit the lightsaber. It was green, and I was like, holy shit. <laughs> and it's been green ever since. It's been green ever since. That's Plus, so funny. I, I was born in May, and the you know emerald is the birthstone, and green. And uh, I remember thinking when I first discovered what my birthstone was, even at that around that age, it just felt like green was some sort of like everything's green. My favorite lightsaber is green. My birthstone is green. That's, <laughs> I love nature. Nature is green. So there was always some sort of like I was trying to make a connection as a little kid to why green yeah. was always in my life. But uh, yeah, that's why green is my favorite color. Yeah. The gray is, oh, awesome. is making a play for my favorite color. I love grays. Wow. Doesn't cool get used or enough. warm grays? Ooh, good question. Um, if I'm painting my home, neutral gray. has to be super neutral. Uh, okay. Neither cool nor warm. Um, if I'm wearing a sweater, warm. Warm gray. <laughs> okay. If I'm buying a couch, warm gray. Okay. Uh I think I think warm just one. I don't. I can't think of a, a a moment where I would want to use cool gray for anything. So yeah, warm. Yeah, same. I really like it's like a like a French warm gray. There's a color mm-hmm. pencil that is that. It's just so nice. Yeah. It's like so neutral. It's like just gray. Yeah. I could talk about colors for a thousand years. Oh, me too. Uh, yeah. One more <laughs> point about color, and then I actually want to talk to you about something a little more serious. Um, okay. The there's a there's a paint. That you can paint your walls of your house uh, called Georgica Gray. Okay. That uh, my wife and I have used for 14 years painting different rooms of two different homes. And I will never, ever use another gray. That is the best gray wow. for your home because here's what it does it's, it's, it's neutral, it's about mid tone, it's a little lighter than mid tone, so it's not too super dark, but it's not super light either. Next to a white, it really kind of like highlights the white, but it's not going to overpower it, whatever. But here's the point, though. Mm-hmm. It changes color depending on the light of the day, time of day. And so it's warm sometimes. It's cool sometimes. It, but it's warm and cool when it just feels like it needs to be. It's great in the wintertime. Mm. It's great in the summertime. It's, I, I don't know. I love it. Georgica. That's gray. wild. Yeah. Okay. I'll have to look it up. All right. So let me adjust my... Mike, I, I broke my boom arm. I'm going to keep this in the podcast. I'm not going to cut this out. I broke my boom arm um, yesterday trying to rig a makeshift 
place to <laughs> record a podcast. Um, oh, no. So, yeah, it's fine. It's a cheap boomer. I'm not worried about it. Um, you know, I mean, I don't have to explain to you or to anyone listening uh, uh, that as an illustrator, I think the creative compass, like knowing what direction you should be going in, you want to go in, you need to go in or whatever, like the, the direction of your career and the fact that you hit these blocks, these, I call them, um, sometimes they're called hurdles. Sometimes I call them like, uh, uh, potholes, Mm -hmm. you know? And so what do you, what do you think about when you're thinking about creative block, when you're thinking about art block, when you're thinking about what direction you're taking with your own, with your own work? Um, I think that I spend a lot of time thinking about what I want to be making. Like I, um, I, I feel like, I mean, I feel like we all kind of have that. Like we all, even if we can't like verbalize it or we can't put it out visually yet, like we can feel it. Like we know sort of what something's in there or like, um, I guess if we don't, uh, or we feel confused, it's best to think like, what would I be doing? I don't know if it like wasn't a job or like, what am I really curious about? Um, for me, I mean, it's, it probably changes, you know, depending on like what really draws you to making things or to art in general. But for me, it's always, it's always, um, play and being curious. And so I often think what will be the most fun for me to do, what will feel like the most play. Mm -hmm. But also, I mean, if you look at my work, it's actually not that playful. It, it kind of is, but it's still a little bit serious. And I'm, I think I'm a little bit serious. So my work is also, I think, pretty nostalgic. So it's kind of like pairing curiosity and play with like this timelessness or these questions I have about life or it is hard to sometimes reconcile that with a career and thinking about, um, you know, what, what work would I want to make? What work would I want to get hired for? And I think that that can be kind of confusing. I've been thinking about it a lot lately. And I think that I love the product of illustration. I love commercial work. Um, I love the application of having my work used in the world. Mm -hmm. Um, but I want control over that. And so usually in a commercial field, you know, you have an art director and editor, you have like teams, which is awesome. And sometimes work can be amazing in that way. But it sometimes can be difficult if you are waiting for an art director or someone to hire you. Um, It's, you know, sometimes whatever you're feeling inside or what you want to be making, like doesn't really come out. I don't know. It's like I... I want to be a fine artist making illustration, but I also love the team aspect, if that makes sense. Yeah, um, totally. Anyway, I, I, this might be rambling, but I do feel like these are just the all of the thoughts that happen when you're trying to figure out, um, you know, in what direction to go. And, and um, I, I'll say that as far as artist blocks go, like, you know, you hear the term burnout and I feel like, I've had a creative burnout one time and it was the most intense creative thing that's ever happened to me. So I, I kind of do refuse to say that it's not, um, an actual thing. Cause I have heard that and it's a really intense feeling. I would not, I would not say that that's the same thing as just having a creative block. 
sometimes we just have a creative block because we're scared or we're like, you know, we're procrastinating or we yeah. think we're not going to be good enough That's or, right. yeah, I mean, and to that end, like you literally just have to sit down and you just have to start working because then like that momentum will come and you'll find your, you know, you'll find your flow and you'll find your, mm-hmm. your ideas will come to you if you're working. And I do think this is a little bit different than like a burnout, but I just said so many things in there. Oh my God. Are you kidding? I have like 17 follow-up questions, but uh, we're, okay. we're, we're, we're uh, coming up against the time here against okay. the clock. So I, I, I do have one tiny little follow-up, but I feel like I have okay. to ask you this creative burnout. I wasn't planning on asking you this, but you mentioned it. Yeah. So what it was essentially like, you just couldn't, um, I mean, the way I'm understanding it, the way I feel about creative burnout is like, you just wake up and you, the last thing you want to do is, is something creative. Is that just, is that what happened? Yeah. I think it was around 2017. I had books come out. I had the one I did and then a couple other, I got married. I had a bunch of gallery shows, actually lost somebody that was really close to me and my family. And it was like, and throughout all of that, I just was like, keep going, keep going, keep going. You know, I'm just going to keep doing this and I can keep working hard and keep showing up and yeah. staying busy. And then like, and that all kind of happened. Um, and after, I think it was maybe the fall of 2017, I just like, I mean, it had been building. So it definitely wasn't like I woke up one day and just couldn't make anything. It was like a very intense building and this is actually um I haven't thought about this in a while but I was so stressed out that I would get in my car and I would drive to my studio and I would scream like at the top of my lungs because I felt so like I cannot make anything like I don't want to make anything and maybe ever again and I think at that point um my identity and my worth was really tied to my work so if I wasn't an artist what did that mean and I took a couple months off and it didn't really like fully, I didn't wake up one day and, you know, finally I'm ready to make art. It was definitely like months where it was like kind of getting slowly back into it and picking up, you know, projects again. And I had projects to do, so I just sat down and did them. And I think slowly it kind of worked itself out and I found things to love again about making art. So it's a pretty intense, you know, thing. Yeah. But... I'm glad to hear you. And, and by the way, thank you for sharing that because it's, I don't know if, I don't know if it just gets talked about as, as, as freely and as often as it should. And people, it's going all the way back to like, well, you know, it was, uh, you had two agents and uh, it's a very up and down career being an illustrator. It is. And yeah, yeah. you reach points in which you feel like, like darker points. Yeah. It's not all you know, cookies and pancakes. No. Yeah. It's like a weird, it's a, it's an interesting career. I mean, cause yeah, you're kind of in your own head, but you're also like, what should I do? And what, you know, yeah. you feel like there's this, like these rules, but there really aren't any. And then you do tie up your worth with your identity and your art making when you don't have that. It's yeah. and then maybe, you, maybe that's just being human, oh, but yeah. So much lift heavy lifting yeah. into something and then you send it out into the world and it's like, oh, like just and crickets. you don't hear anything. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, you know what, it's, it's just kind of always changing and you're never going to just like stop and just make the same thing every day. You know, mm-hmm. 
I have to figure out a way to end podcasts a little better than I do because I always say the same thing. I could keep talking forever. Um, I enjoy talking, but we should end because uh, we have been talking for quite a while. That was the fastest hour in the history of hours. Yeah, that was. That wow. was. Um, but I'm really glad that uh, Katie recommended talking to you because holy effing S, man, I'm not kidding. Like, I love your work. Oh, thank you so much. Uh, your blog posts, it's all, it's all good. And anytime anyone's doing good work and helping other illustrators figure out how they can do work, um, that's somebody I want to talk to. Oh, thank uh, you. So let's, let's remember that Katie and others are listening to this conversation. You already shared uh, quite a bit, but can you... What would be your sort of last bit of advice for anyone experiencing creative block or starting off their career or trying to figure out who they are and what they should do. Hmm. I am, this will kind of segue nicely into what we were just talking about, I think, but, um, I think often we as artists, whether we're just starting out or we've been doing it for 10 years or I mean, I don't know how anybody else feels. I've only been doing it for 10 years, so I won't speak for people that have been in it for decades. But I think when we're just starting out or, you know, we have some projects under our belt, um, there still is, I think, some trust to be had in ourselves. I don't think we often, like, trust our own instincts enough. And so we often ask questions like, what should I do? What should I be doing? What should? And and I actually, in my studio, have... Um, I always write out the word should, and then I exit out. And that word is like pretty, is pretty powerful. And I've been thinking recently about replacing that with, um, what, like, what if, so instead of thinking, you know, what should I have in my portfolio? I do feel like if you ask questions that lead to more, um, positivity or like possibilities mm -hmm. um so ooh, what if i did this you know i just like ask the question what should i you're already like narrowing your focus and you're already thinking someone you know knows better than you or maybe like it kind of puts you on the defense but if you say like what if i think that there's just so much more possibility so i would say to like every illustrator ask yourself that more I think what if what if that happened what if I could make this what if to learn more about Rebecca visit myblankpaper.com if you enjoyed our conversation please share it with your friends subscribe to the podcast and provide a positive rating and review become a patron by visiting patreon.com slash illustration d-e-p-t in return you'll receive our soft enamel pin a reusable discount code for 10% off, and access to patron-only episodes we're calling Extra Credit. This podcast is produced by the Illustration Department, a global leader in online education for illustrators. Visit us at illustrationdept.com. For class offerings, testimonials, the alumni showcase, the podcast show notes, our new forum, the bookshop, and more. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.